0: Father, we thank you for your word. On this uh, first day of this year, we know that you want to see that word into our hearts. That it would be better than gold. Like honey to taste. It is how you want to encourage and warn your servants. And when you know in your words, in those words, there is great reward. So, Father, we pray, and I pray, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Zechariah. um, Or if you have the ESV, Zechariah. Just before the New Testament starts, you have Matthew. Then you have Malachi. Then you have Zechariah. Well, Happy New Year. I think this is a great message to preach um, in the New Year, and I, if you're keeping score, the title of the message is Not Home Yet, The Journey of the Standard. Okay. We are closing, getting close to the end of our series on Zechariah, which is we, we entitled good news for disappointed people. So, as we go in our passage today, I want you to think about some notable journeys, notable adventures. Um, You know, in America, we have the journey of Lewis and Clark that might be known to you. Um, But in this group, I really think the journey of Frodo and Sam probably is more uh, familiar to you from the Lord of the Rings. You know, you remember in that journey there was the breaking of the fellowship and the shattering of the people, right? And then Sam and Frodo, they continue on this journey to Mount Doom, right, to put the Ring of power into the fires. We don't have time to go through all the trials and tribulations. But I think their journey is actually a good, a good picture of this text this morning. How the Lord is going to refine us, to test us on our journey. And it just so happens that at the end, we witness the return of the king, right? And given riches and honor, right? And just like Frodo and Sam, we go home. Not the back end, but the heaven. So this is a promise of good news to a disappointed people. So our passage today It builds on Christmas Eve. Now, if you weren't here, uh, Jeremy preached on chapter 12, 11 and 12, and especially 12, verse 10, where the Lord says, quote, I will pour out a spirit of grace and pleas of mercy so that when they look on me on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. So today, we're going to learn more about the one whom they have pierced. And then we're going to see the adventure of the people of God. So first, we'll look to the the far future, which is the cleansing continued in verses 2 and 6. Then we'll come back to what I would call the near future from Zechariah's point of view, which is the shepherd struck and the sheep scattered. Then we'll move back to the future, back to the far future, on the way, the journey of the sheep. So let's hop right in. Let's look to the far future and cleansing continue. In our passage, we see once again, he says, on that day. Now, in 13.1, on that day, that refers to the day of Jesus' crucifixion. But in verses 2 and 4, that day of the Lord, that day refers to the day of the Lord. On that day, the Lord will bring everything to consummation. On that day, he will establish the kingdom on the new earth. New heavens and new earth full of glory, perfection and he will vanquish his enemies. So in verses 2 to 6, the Lord will cleanse the land on that day of all idols and false prophets. If you remember, it is actually the sins of idolatry and false prophets which led Israel into exile in the first place. The Lord shows how serious he is about this. Whether it's a metaphor or not, parents will be called to kill their sons, to actually pierce them. So in 13.1... We saw that the fountain would be opened, right, to cleanse the people of God from sin and uncleanness. This is a cleansing of the heart and action that takes place on the cross, right? We get that as a result of the cross. But God will also take away, on that day, external uncleanness from people, which comes from idols, of false prophets. So Zechariah is looking forward, right? There still will be idols and false prophets in Israel during Zechariah's time, and it's still a reality today. But on that day, on that day it will be different. Revelation 21, 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, the new heaven and the new earth, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do we have false prophets today? I think so. And I think Tarmat McCarthy, if you're familiar with him, he hints at this present social construct in the book The Rose. Now, if you haven't read The Rose, okay? Now, Corbett McCarthy is an atheist recluse, but he says more about God, I think, in some of his thoughts. So The Rose, you should put that on your reading list, or they actually made a movie of it, so he's more for that. So here's what happened in the road. It's the story of a father and son that are traveling in a post of apocalyptic time of devastated earth, and they're traveling on a journey to get to the ocean to get some reward because there is no power and there's nothing. Okay. And the dialogue is amazing, but they come they come across some man, an old man, half blind, half sighted, the son wants to give him some of their food. They don't have much. Dad, Daddy, let give him food. And so they finally give him something to eat, and the following conversation goes on. The father watched the old man. How would you know if you were the last man on earth? He said. Well, I don't know. You just would know it. You just see it. Nobody, nobody would know it. Well, it wouldn't make any difference. When, when you die, it's the same as everybody else that died, too. Well, I guess God would know. Is that it? There is no God. No? There is no God. And we are his prophets. There is no God and we are his prophets. I think Cormac McCarthy is speaking about our culture. Think about it. There is no creator. It's just chance and time. There is no judgment. There are no consequences. All you see is what you get. So how do we live in a culture where there is no God and the people are his prophets? How do we do that? Well, I think we have to share the good news for disappointed people. So I would encourage you in 2023, we must echo this gospel of Jesus not only to each other, but to those around us. And we will see Zechariah tells us how our lives as exiles should look. The good news includes the greatest miracle that Jeremy talked about on Christmas Eve, the incarnation, but there's more. Jesus became the God-man, but on that day, He died on the cross. The greatest event in history. And that is exactly what we see in the near future, where the shepherd is struck. You know, wherever you pick up your Bible, there's some questions you should ask yourself. Where is Jesus Christ in this passage? Where, how is the gospel integrated in this text? Now Jesus makes it easy for us today in Zechariah 7 because he actually quotes this verse in his final evening. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. We learn three things from Jesus when he quotes Zechariah 13, 7. Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd of the passage. Is the sheep of the flock that are centered and the sword of the Lord falls upon Jesus on the cross. Awake, O sword, against the shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be centered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. The Lord of hosts commands the sword to awake. He must have been asleep for 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. No word. Awake, O sword. What is the sword? I think Deuteronomy 1340 helps us. The Lord says, For I will lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. So here the sword represents judgment and not just judgment on any enemy, but the man who stands next to the Lord. Now, in Christmas scene, we saw something new about Jesus, right? When you look at verses 12 and 10, it says, when they look on me, the Lord, the Lord says, they look on me whom they have pierced. The Lord said this. God himself wants to be pierced. How can that be? Then another passage, and here it is the man next to God. Who can that be except the Son of God, Jesus Christ? He is the Lord's shepherd. He will be struck. And when does that occur? Well, Jesus quotes this verse just before Judas shows up in the garden the night before his crucifixion. He is the shepherd who is going to be struck on that good Friday. So really the question you have to ask yourself, why would God the Father strike down his only Son. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 53. If you knew your Bible, you open up, you'll probably hit Psalms and Proverbs, and then keep going further in the book, you'll get to Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 says, among other things, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed seen him stricken, smitten by God. Same word, strike. Struck. Smitten by God and afflicted. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and he has put him to grief. Yes, the Lord crushes his son. This is not cosmic child abuse, as some pundits see it. It pleads the Father to smote his son so that judgment would fall on Jesus and not on us. As Isaiah says, the Lord has lain on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That is how Jesus saw Zechariah 13.7. Why did Zechariah prophesy this to returning exiles? Why? Well, God was showing them that not only he was going to what he was gonna do in the Messiah, but demonstrating what continuing exile of God people would look like until that day when God brings everything to consummation, kingdom, everlasting on the new earth. That is what God is getting at by the phrase, strike the and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones." The exiles had returned to Jerusalem, right? From Babylon. But they were still part of the scattered exiles. They weren't home yet. Not everybody returned to Jerusalem. When Zechariah looked around, the wall was still broken down. It would be 60 years before Nehemiah came to reveal the wall. All he could foresee is scattered sheep. What would happen to them? What happens to us? We go back to the future. The journey of the sheep. Verses 8 and 9. Let me just read that again. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. I'll stop there. Sneak peek. See, what happens, we live in a Walt Disney world, Right? You know, Disney, well, Disney died in 1963, I think. We live in this world where they live as happily ever after. You know the storyline, right? The, a king is exposed by an evil enemy. The king makes a comeback, he vanquishes an enemy, marries a beautiful princess, and they and the people live in the kingdom happily ever after, right? we don't live in that world. We live in a world that is full of pain and disappointment. And in this passage we see that those who are left alive from the one third, the one third, they actually don't live happily ever after, but they face trials and tribulation. I will put this third, into the fire. Who's the third? The sheep. And refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. So the first question you get, are you a sheep? Or are you part of the two thirds? If I had time, I would take you to Matthew 7, you know, and talk about the wide roads and the narrow roads, but we don't have time this morning because I want to get into other things. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? Do you hear his voice? Have you ever repented and put your trust in him and believed the gospel? That's what it means to be his sheep. Now, in Hebrew, a little Hebrew lesson, and I'm not an expert, okay? But in Hebrew, when they want to emphasize something, they don't put an explanation point, but they repeat the word. So in this passage, he says, I will refine you, and I will refine you. I will test you, I will test you. Refine, refine as silver, testing and testing as gold. And this is a common theme. Isaiah 48:10 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. You know, they, whoever they is, they say that when the dross is gone during the refining process, he knows, the refiner knows it's gone when he can see he or she can see the reflection in the metal, right? in the silver, in the gold. See, the Lord is finding us until he sees himself in the gold. My daughter Jenny shared with me a book a few weeks ago called High Feet on High Places. It's by um, Hannah Hunter, her name. And it's kind of one of these books that's in the tradition of Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory, right? The main character is much afraid, and she commits to follow the great shepherd to the high places. And in her path to the high places, she is given two guides, sorrow and suffering. At one point, she finds herself through a desert is a detour which really discourages her and the shepherd she calls out the shepherd teaches her about this path and what he says is really interesting much afraid he said the shepherd said all my servants on their way to the high places have had to make this detour to the desert it is called the furnace of Egypt and the horror of of great darkness, according quoting Genesis 15. Here we have it learned many, here they will learn many things which otherwise they would not have known about. Abraham was the first of my servants, he continues, to come this way. Then Joseph, with tears and anguish of heart, and looked upon it too and learned the lesson of the furnace of fire. Since that time, an endless succession of my people have come this way. They came to learn the secret of royalty. And now you are here, much afraid. You too are in the line of succession. It's a great privilege. And if you will, you, will, you may also may learn the lesson of the furnace and of the great darkness just as surely as they did those before you. And then the shepherd added, "My rarest, my rarest, and choicest jewels, and my finest gold, are those who have been refined in the furnace of Egypt." And he sang one verse in my little song: "I turn my hand upon thy heart and purge away thy dross. I will refine thee in my fire. Remake thee at." my cross. Let's just an encouragement to us as we face trials and uncertainties, disappointments and heartbreaks. The Lord himself is refining us so that we can reflect more of his image. It's not easy. not easy. He's burning all dross everything that doesn't look like him. But this is a promise for a disappointed people. Many here, I know, have severe troubles in the past year. And the Father, from 2 Corinthians 1, the, the God of all comfort, he, wants, he sees us and he comforts us in our affliction so that We can come from others. So what is the purpose? Why why is God doing this? What is the end goal of all this refining and testing? It's the recurring theme of covenant and promise. Look at verse 9 at the end. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them, I will say, "They, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Here we have the promise of answering prayer, which is a sermon in itself. Here we have the promise of being God's people gathered. You know, I wonder if Peter the Apostle had Zechariah 13 in mind when he penned the words. First Peter 1 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here is good news for disappointed people. The end is sure. And God is working in and through us to make us like Jesus. His work is finished in Christ, but not in us. So our part is to repent, believe the gospel. Allow the Lord to refine us on this journey. We must remember that this is not our home. We are exiled on earth. And Peter again says in 1 Peter 4.12, Behold, do not be surprised at a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's writing to what he called the exiles in one verses, verse one of First Peter. So our greatest influence in this time of cultural upheaval, as we think about twenty twenty three, is that the gospel have more, it will have more influence, not less. As those around us see our perseverance and faith in action, our light truly shines in the darkness. We need to embrace our sadness as exiles. In exile in Babylon, Mordecai reminded Queen Esther, yes, this is right This is after Zechariah, right? And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It is no accident that you and I are sitting here and are alive in 2023. It is God's plan for us as exiles to shine the light of the gospel through our lives, through our words, Ask yourself on this New Year's Day, and who knows whether you have not come to this place for such a time as this. As I close, um, Carol and I are big fans of The Voice, okay? That's probably the only um, American network TV. Besides football, yeah. Uh Carol and I watched The Voice. So last year, there was a group of siblings that won The Voice. They, they were called Girl Named Tom, uh, two brothers and a sister. And they came up with an album recently. And there's a song on the album that I thought would really be appropriate um, as I read you the words. It's called Homesick Melody. Homesick Melody. Here, here, I won't sing it, sorry it goes. Hold on just a little longer. Hold on, we'll make it through together. I'll run, soon we'll be together. Through the mountains and the valleys, I, I'll find my way. I'm on my way. I can hear it in the distance, calling after me, longing for a place my spirit will be free. Spend a long time running, the Lord knows where I'll be. Until then, I'll sing, I'll sing my homesick melody. We are the standard people of God, making our way home. Jesus is calling us back home, but we are not there yet. It's New Year's Day, right? Some of us are in anticipation of a new beginning, Some are dreading with anxiety what waits around the bend. When you're anxious or anticipating joyful or fearful, I want to give you good news. We have the promise of Zechariah from the Lord. They will call upon my name. I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is my God. Hold on just a little longer, hold on, we'll make it through. Our homesick melody will turn into songs of praise and worship on that day when Jesus returns in glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we await that day when would you strengthen us, comfort us, as we go through refining, as we go through trials, as we go through testing, knowing that you are calling us to yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Zechariah 13 gives us a great picture of the cross, doesn't it? The sword of God smote our Savior, Jesus. His body was broken, his blood poured out. And as we wander towards home, the elements of bread and the juice remind us not only of the forgiveness of the cross, but something more. Our home melody looks forward to the Mary's Supper of the Lamb, which will, no doubt, include bread and wine or juice. Though we are shattered, we celebrate this meal together, knowing that we are not only gathered here today, but will forever be gathered as God's people in the presence when Jesus returns. So, if you are in Christ, repenting and believing in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, you're welcome to the table. If you have yet to repent and believe the gospel, just participate by observing and meditate. What does the Lord want from you this year? He wants you. He wants you. So after all is served, we'll participate together. Come to the feast.